consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I'm here with my co-host, Gypsy. And today we have Marcus Ogden. He is a retired NFL player, an inspirational keynote speaker, executive coach, and best-selling author. (laughs) Welcome, Marcus. Welcome. How y'all doing? Thanks for having me on, Classic. Thanks, Gypsy. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure having you. So to get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from and, you know, how do you end up in, in Raleigh, where, uh, North Carolina, where you are? Yeah, man, I'm from Washington, D.C. I went to Howard University. Uh, actually, I just found out I've been, I'm going to be inducted to the Howard University's Athletic Hall of Fame class 2022, which is nice. really exci- exciting because my father went to Howard. He was a bison. And I only had one scholarship offered to college uh, to play football, which was Howard. I jumped on it. It was an amazing you know, opportunity. Of course, back in the late 90s, you know, different world, Martin Cosby show, living single. Everybody was loving Howard. So going to Howard at that time was just an absolute icon for me and my family. So it was great. Went from Howard to the National Football League, played there for almost six years, got out of football, struggled for a little bit. Then I got into construction in Baltimore, built this massive organization but unfortunately, as the company grew, Classic and Gypsy, so did my ego, and I made some really bad mistakes, and I ended up uh, losing my business and everything that I owned in 2013 because I made a really, really bad business decision, and I stopped treating my clients and my team like people. I was chasing money, fame, and notoriety, and as a result of that, I ended up going to a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, and then I moved to Raleigh to try to get my life started back over again. Okay. Okay. That's a nice little journey. We've, we've, um, I, don't know, I guess we discussed a little bit of DC on our last recording. It hasn't been out yet. hasn't been put out yet, but we also lived in, um, the DMV. Um, we lived uh-huh. in, uh, Alexandria, Virginia for a year, um, in, inside of DC around Fort Titan area for about a, a year. And then we were back uh-huh. in, uh, Alexandria for about a year. So uh-huh. for some, for someone like you that was raised there, give us a little bit of your insight on what it's like being raised in a place like Washington, D.C. Oh, man, it's great because you could go downtown and be at the White House and go over across the water and see the monuments and, you know, so much history from Dr. King's speech. You know, I have a dream speech that was given, you know, on, on you know, in the Washington you know, monument area, the whole, like, you know, the, the whole process of where that was over there in D.C. to all the memorials, the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, uh, you know, the Washington Monument to, you know, all the history in downtown D.C., like the Smithsonian to the National Black History Museum. So growing up, man, in D.C. was great. I mean, I got the chance to, you know, it was hard. Don't get me wrong, though. I mean, I grew up in a really rough area, uh, you know, in Northeast. And then my grandfather lived in Northwest with my grandmother and would go over to Southeast D.C. to do boxing training for God. He was a a volunteer was in Girls Club for 62 years of his life, over six decades as a volunteer. So I spent a lot of time in that area. But, you know, DC taught me a lot about, you know, how to be resilient, uh, a lot about how to live around different people. Because, again, going to high school in DC at St. John's, it was, you know, predominantly white, you know, and there was a lot of diversity white, black, you know, Asian, uh, you know, Hispanic descent. So I learned a lot about diversity, equity. I learned a lot about just different ethnicities, how to live and interact with different people as a result of being from the Washington, D.C. area. Okay. 
What team did you play for in NFL? So I was drafted by the Jaguars. Uh, I was Jack Rio, who's with the Washington Commanders as their D coordinator today. And then I went from Jacksonville to Baltimore. Uh, played with my brother who played for 12 years with the Ravens. And then went from Baltimore to Buffalo. And then I finished off my career with the Tennessee Titans. Okay. How was that like transitioning from football and sports to more in the business world and doing speaking engagements? Oh, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of similarities like discipline, focus, drive, hard work, you know, reliability, but it's so different because there's not as much using your, your body and your brawn and your size, you know, you have Mm -hmm. to use your mind and educate yourself. And it's a lot more strategic and tactical than it is force. You know, when you're playing football, of course, there's a lot of you know strategy that goes behind it, but you have to use force at all times. You know, mass and weight and velocity and strength and violence and all that goes into football. Testosterone. In speaking, <laughs> yeah, testosterone, you know, yeah. all that stuff. When you start talking about, you know, uh, speaking and all that, that's more, you know, just, you know, using your intellect and using your mind and, you know, marketing yourself to be in a position to be able to successfully, you know, become really good at your craft. Yeah. What made you pick constructions when you were going into business? That's a great question. Uh, I picked it for the absolute wrong reason. I picked it because I wanted to make fast money or so I thought I got caught up in the big check syndrome and, you know, in construction, you know, it's kind of football in a way where you get paid, you know, it's like, you know, it's bigger checks, but it takes a while, but you know, the checks could be, you know, 50,000, a hundred thousand, you know, million. I mean, I've gotten checks for, well, I had checks for like, you know, 1.5, $2 million in my business. Now, of course I had a lot of expenses against those checks, but I was really chasing, uh, you know, gypsy, you know, big check syndrome. And I really didn't have a love for construction. I really didn't know construction, but I was just trying to make money. And that's exactly why uh, we burned out because I was in it for the wrong reasons. Was football always a, a, a childhood goal of yours growing up or did you have other goals and football just happened to swing in there for you? No, I actually wanted to be an investment banker and work on Wall Street uh, in New York when I was at Howard. I mean, you think about it, you know, uh, think about it like this way. You know, uh, I got one scholarship offer to play college football, one. And that was Howard University. And I was so excited to have that opportunity. But when you only get one offer leaving high school, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about NFL or things like that. I mean, that shouldn't be on your radar. You know, it should be getting education, focusing on your craft, and then figuring out what's going to be your next play. And so for me, that was finance. And I worked for Merrill Lynch uh, in their Washington, D.C. office right around the corner from the White House. And I interned there when I was in college. And I loved it. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an investment banker and work on Wall Street. But I got really good at football. Uh, probably about, I'll say, going into my third year. You know, I was an all-conference as a sophomore. Then I blocked the guy my sophomore year who was like, you know, led Division one double in sacks. He had like 15 sacks going to my, our game. I, I held him to none. And People start saying, oh, Marcus, you're on potential radar for opportunity. And that's when you know, I said, okay, fine. I'll play my junior season and see what happens. And then, you know, everybody said, hey, Marcus, you know, coming to this last year, 
you're on people's draft boards, you're in draft books, you know, you have opportunity to be, you know, uh, drafted if you have a good season. So I went all in, you know, I, you know, I hope people in the podcast are listening in life. You only get a few really big opportunities, I believe. And so I had that opportunity and I just went all in and I just focused on finishing up school, football training. And, you know, by the grace of God and a lot of hard work, the Jaguar saw enough in me to draft me in 2003. Nice. So the, is the wall street banker dream still alive there or. <laughs> Great question. No, that's long gone, man. But I actually tried to revive that when I came to Raleigh in 2013, I worked for Merrill Lynch for a short time uh, in their PMD, like their training program. And I was out there trying to hustle and get in front of people and trying to win people's trust and get them to know me and like, you know, to work with them as a financial advisor. Problem was, guys, I forgot to study. Why well, didn't forget? It wasn't a focal point of mine. I was kind of like, oh, I took finance when I was in college. This will be easy. Yeah, no, I had been removed for almost a decade. So by the time I got into trying to take my practice test, things like that, I was failing miserably. And that's when I ended up having to, you know, leave because I got fired because of my own, you know, errors and my own, really my own ego. I think I could just go ahead and just show up and pass the practice test. And uh, yeah, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> okay. So you said you spent some time in Baltimore and then Did? you went to Riley, North Carolina. So that's I, right. You may be our third or fourth, um, uh, guests from Riley, North Carolina. What was that transition like from a place like the DMV to a place like Riley, North Carolina? Woo! You talk about a slow pace of <laughs> life coming down here. It was like nothing to do. Uh, you know, it was very underdeveloped. Now, where it's at today, it's much better. Uh, there's a lot more things here. Downtown Raleigh has always been nice. The outskirts have been a little behind the times, but they've done a nice job. Like, you know, we're actually in a new, uh, a new development. It's like, it's less than like two years old. We just built this really nice, you know, 3000 square foot home here in apex, uh, North Carolina, outside of Raleigh. And it's awesome because, you know, you, if you want glitz and glam and a little bit more fast paced, you can go to Raleigh. If you want real like downtown urban action, you can take a two and a half hour drive to Charlotte. But where we're at in the outskirts, it's nice. It's there's no issues. Uh, it's really, you know, kind of just quiet, you know. And, you know, the problem with Baltimore is when I met my fiance, who's now my wife, and I had a stepdaughter, I was working a lot in downtown Baltimore, which was really not safe. I remember my fiance came to visit me um, and she ended up coming up driving leaving her car, you know, at my place of work. And we went out, you know, for like an evening and all that. And then we came back the next morning to get her car from my office and her car was stolen. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was, it was there for an evening, nothing crazy, but, you know, came back, you know, boom, it's gone. And, you know, there was a lot of problems with Baltimore at that time. It was becoming dirty. It was becoming run down and it was becoming a place where you didn't want to raise uh, a family. So when I lost my business, the choices were either go out to Las Vegas, where my brother was, or come down to the Raleigh area where my fiance's mom and dad were, her brother, her sister, and a lot of her friends. Because when we met, we met on match, and she was living in the Apex area. And then when I she moved up to be with me, 
Then when I lost the business, she, we ended up moving back down here to Apex to be around her family after my business crashed in 2013. Okay. Las Vegas, huh? My brother... My brother's been out there, so he's 24, so he'll be 47. So it's been uh, 23 years he's been in Vegas. Uh, he's lived out there. Okay. So it's like a complete different polar. You got the Sin City, and then you just have Riley, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was like, he's like, he's like in Henderson, Nevada, like, you know, 20 minutes from the strip. So it's not like the area, but it's like the outskirts. So we're going to move out there. But, you know, we only knew my brother and, you know, his wife, you know, my, and my, and I really made the move because my wife's, you know, daughter, well, my fiance's daughter, who's now my stepdaughter, uh, you know, her cousins, and she was young, she was eight. So her cousins, friends were all here. It just made, it, it seemed easier for her and my fiance, uh, I guess I keep saying my wife, to adjust and, you know, and versus me, you know, so it was easy for two people to adjust a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. And I had to go through the growing pains of not knowing anybody learning. And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, Marcus, you know, if they feel secure and safe in the area, then it'll be easier for you to adjust than them trying to go out to Vegas where you're safe and secure in the area, but they don't know anybody. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, it's like she's not close to her family. So it just made more sense for me to be the one to have to, you know, make the harder adjustments. That's how we came to the Raleigh area. Nice. So I guess even after playing a defensive position in the NFL, you're looking at one of the scariest people, you know, big guys <laughs> in the eyes, and, you, you know, you, you just got enough strength and, you know, you're fearless enough to defend that. Going into inspirational speaking or public speaking, one of the number one fears in the world next to dying almost. What was your mm-hmm. transition like for that? What inspired oh, you to, to really oh, get into well, that? Well, a good question. So what I got into it is because I ended up, you know, having a spoiled milk rock bottom moment of clarity where somebody's trash, rotten meat, nasty protruding garbage covered my body, my skin, and my clothes when I was a custodian. And that was my wake up call. And it made me realize in my life, there was no accountability, which is an internal promise to yourself to do what you need to do to be successful. There was no responsibility, which is an external promise to others to help them achieve what they want in life. And because of that, that's why my life basically crashed. That's why my business failed. It wasn't my business partner. It wasn't the developer. It wasn't the contract. It wasn't my employees. It was Marcus Ogden who let himself down. And once I had that realization, that's why I said I need to go into speaking to help others succeed where I failed. And when I started, I sucked like anybody else that starts. You know, I had to humble myself. I was at the complete bottom. And for two and a half years, not one paid job. And I finally got my first paid job, April 2016. So next month, it'll be six years since I got my first ever paid job as a speaker. And in that time, in the last six years, we've worked for 35 Fortune 500 brands as a speaker. We have written four books, three are bestsellers. One has not come out yet. It'll be coming out probably about another month. Hopefully, that'll be a, a bestseller. We hope we become a four-time bestselling author coach consultant we have a podcast the levin marcus show uh and really we just like to align with certain brands that you know we feel are a good fit 
So basically starting the speaking journey was hard. It was arduous. It was scary. I look at some of my old photos and not a lot of video because that time I really wasn't doing that. I should have been, but I couldn't afford it. I have a couple of very, you know, let's say low quality videos of me speaking and I can easily tell how bad I was between the stutter, the stammering, the ums, the ahs, the, all those things that if you want to be the best of the best you can't do, I was doing all of those. And over time and over practice and over, you know, just getting better at my craft, here I am today working. I'm always working to get better, always trying to improve my content, always trying to work on my stuff, doing as many podcasts as I can, getting out in front of the right audiences. You never know who might hear your message. But again, it was hard to get started in speaking really hard. What are some tips um, that you use or some, you know, some of the routines that you do w- before going into your speech to help you kind of calm down or to at least to help you, you know, build up, well, build up some point, confidence? At, yeah, yeah at, th- at this point in my career, I don't have to do that anymore. Okay. But when I was going through it, what I would try to focus on trying to find, and I still do this to this day, but I don't really worry about things like I used to. I try to find one person in the audience that I can tell is super engaged or a few people. Like I spoke at a big conference in San Diego about two weeks ago. There was about a thousand people that were there for a big, it was the largest finance-based state conference in California the California Society of Municipal Finance Officers. And I was their closing keynote speaker. And I thought I was going to have to go for about 45 minutes to an hour. I had to go for 90 minutes. No Q&A, no audience interaction, just 90 minutes, me holding that stage. And you can't come up short because I got that job through a bureau. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing you can do is get a job through a bureau and come up short 10 minutes five minutes because they're paying you for that time. So I started at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, had to go to 12 p.m. Pacific. I finished at 12.01. And that was my longest speech so far today. And you know what? I was a little bit, a little bit, a little nerve wracking. I'm like, man, I got to go for an extra double my time, almost 45 minutes, you know, almost you know, double my time. But what I did was I just focused on more stories that related to the topic And I found people in the audience I could tell were super locked in to what I was saying. And I act like I was having a conversation with those people and everybody else kind of fade into the background. And by the time I was done, you know, hour and a half later, I had many people come up to me and say it was awesome and this and that. And, you know, that's kind of something I still do to this. I still do to this day. Okay, I've never actually thought about, I guess, the um, business of being a keynote speaker or even rules, like you said, the one of the worst things to do is to come up short on your speech. Um, are there any, what, what are some, some of the other, you know, things that you learned for like beginner speakers? I'm not a beginner speaker, but just for beginner speakers, like something like that. Cause that's something I had no idea quite about, or it was just so, you know, um, the tight. biggest thing I'll tell a beginning, the biggest thing I'll tell a beginning speaker is they must know exactly what the client has paid you to come and talk about. Mm -hmm. If you don't stay on topic to what the theme of the conference is, you're in trouble. And that I learned the hard way, did my first corporate job for a Fortune 500 brand, and I bombed it because I didn't know how to stay on topic 
and I didn't understand what the audience wanted to hear from me. And then I got feedback from the client who hired me. They hired me again six months later for another similar type of, a, of, a, of an event. And then I crushed it because I was able to understand how to relate my story to the topic. So if you're a beginning speaker listening to this podcast, understand and be crystal clear on what the client wants from you to speak on. Because once you have that, then everything else can just work its way down the line. Appreciate that. You mentioned um, a few times you had a failing business. What are some things you wish you would have knew um, that would help other people that are going through the same situation? I wish I would have learned how important it is to listen to your trusted team. When you pay people a salary and you don't listen to them, you're wasting payroll. And that was my biggest thing. I was wasting payroll because my experts, my top tier employees were trying to express to me the potential issues and trouble that was coming down our path. But because I was so ego driven and so focused on my own success and money, I didn't listen. And a leader who does not listen is a leader who is setting themselves up for failure, a.k.a. hard learning lessons. And I went through it. And I have a saying now, when you lose everything, like I did, you learn to appreciate everything. Because it took me five and a half years to build that eight-figure business. It only took me 90 days, three months to lose it all. So when you are at rock bottom, what are some things that got you through to get out Great. of it? Um, that's a great question. And what I tell everybody is the following is I had to focus on my strengths and remember what I was good at. Once I remembered what I was good at, I could then rebuild the foundation of my life. One of the best quotes I ever heard was from JK Rollins is that uh, rock bottom is the foundation that she rebuilt her life on. Same thing for me. That moment as a spoiled milk, moment of clarity, going through it at that time, custodian, was my rock bottom moment. And that rock bottom moment has been the foundation that I have rebuilt my life on. Again, you know, was that nine years ago? Uh, That's about eight and a half to nine years ago, September 2013. I'm filing a bankruptcy, couldn't file it because I was so broke. I'm trying to pay it off. I'm making $8 an hour. I have, you know, we don't own anything. You know, we, we, we own a very cheap, super expensive interest car that we bought, a Nissan Altima paying like 30% interest because my wife had filed a bankruptcy and I was so broke, I couldn't even file mine. Didn't own a home, didn't own any assets, didn't own Jack. And, you know, as a result of that, I had to get my life back on track. So, you know, the, the, the rock bottom moment that I went through in September 2013 has been the foundation I've rebuilt my life off of. Okay. <clears throat> How did you go, like, what inspired you to start a podcast? I wanted to start the podcast to give content to people who couldn't afford my coaching or my high ticket speaking, but still wanted to learn information and also start the podcast to get amazing guests 
to share their amazing stories. And as a result of that, it turned into something really spectacular. We're globally ranking the top one and a half percent worldwide after only six months. We've been out on all platforms now for a little over eight months, but we got into the top one and a half percent worldwide about two and a half months ago. We've interviewed some phenomenal people. Uh, Michael Strahan, we interviewed him last week. His episode came out yesterday on all podcast platforms. It's awesome. He was great. And people love his stories. And that's going to give us so much more credibility in what we do because he's so successful. He's so busy. And he rarely has time to do anything other than what he does with Good Morning America to, you know, going to space and being a, a great father. But he took 30 minutes of his time and he showed up early to be on our podcast, which speaks volumes to the type of people that think highly of our product and our brand. So I started this and we, which is me and my co-host Leverett, because we wanted to help people and give them content that they could absorb and digest in a very easily, very simplistic fashion through the messaging of the show. Congratulations on the success of that. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how has your business been impacted over the past two years with the whole pandemic and everything? Great question. We had to pivot. One of the best ways a leader can lead through change is having the ability to pivot when times call for it. So we went to more virtual talks and we went to more consulting doing things like using Zoom a lot, Google Meets, you know, go-to meetings. And very fortunate for us, we were able to make that pivot quickly and we did not get hurt too bad in the pandemic. Now we're doing good this year, but I'm very cognizant of what's going on with war, inflation, issues. So, you know, I put some money away because you know I'm very aware and I know that some things might be a little bit slow or stall. We're getting back to in-person meetings, which is awesome. Like in February, I was in Cleveland, Ohio, Washington, North Carolina, San Diego, California, and Austin, Texas, all in the month of March. Next month, I'll be in Omaha, Nebraska, then on vacation, then a job in Charleston. Then the month after that, I'll have a job that's in Orlando, and then I'm going to Charlotte. So it's getting better, but I'm recognizing that things are a little bit stalled now. You know, COVID kind of like, you know, linger post, but also, you know, the war and inflation and, you know, just things that aren't in our control. A lot of change, which I tell people is external facets you can't control. That's what's going on right now. So I'm very aware, very cognizant, and our team is trying to do a lot more media podcasts, you know, trying to make ourselves, uh, people see us as a individual or a brand that has some sort of, you know, authoritative position to be able to help get you going or inspired. Because right now, if you don't do that, I feel it's going to be hard because just with everything going on around the globe, you know, know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We just don't have any idea. With um, cryptocurrency being a part of the future of our lifestyle um have you tickled around in the cryptocurrency um department and you know how do you implement that into i guess 
motivation or speech wise for great great question i'm actually going to be brought on as a chief networking officer for a crypto hedge fund and i've dabbled in it i understand actually i'm out talking to someone about doing some nft work potentially so i'm very open to multiple streams of income we get paid for speaking coaching consulting being an author we make we get podcast sponsors we get paid to be a brand ambassador uh, we get paid. Uh, my wife ghostwrites books, so we we have many. You know, and then of course, look at NFT, you know, crypto. So we've got about you know, I myself have about between eight to ten different revenue streams because I understand that you know things can be different in that regard. Okay, and we lost your face for just a little bit. Uh, I'm right there. Here. I still, yeah, I still hear your your voice though. But yeah, we're not. Okay. Yeah, it's just you're not on the screen, but it's okay. We'll continue. All right, I'm right here. Sorry about that. No, it's no problem. But yeah, crypto is definitely something that is moving along with everything else that we have going on with the changes in the world. So it's definitely something that I see being talked about more with, I guess, motivational speeches and things like that in the future. What are you doing with yeah. NFTs, if you don't mind me asking? Oh no! I'm just we're in, we're in, we're looking at it, we're trying to see what we're going to do. Uh, someone approached us actually today about it, so we're going to investigate and see what that that's going to transpire, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. We're not really sure yet, uh, but we're going to take a look at that sometime next week to see if that makes a, a good fit for us. Nice. Okay. So, um, do you see yourself staying in the Riley, North Carolina area for a long time, or you see yourself moving around as you continue to do? No, no, we're going to be, we're going to be in Raleigh for a while. I mean, it's, it's my, you know, my daughter is you know, looking to go to college here. My oldest, my youngest is seven. So we're going to be in this area for a while without a doubt. Okay. Yeah. I'm originally from Mississippi. So I, I, it's a similar. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> similar, similar way of life for sure. Yeah, definitely similar way of life. And my, one of my, uh, my best friends used to live in Riley. That's, he was the first one that actually moved there and I learned about Riley and it's funny is it keeps coming back around. I can tell, I, I'm guessing probably five to 10 years from now, Riley probably is going to be even or a lot more popular than it is right now. Oh, it's, it's growing and booming, man. Every which way you can think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I know the tech industry is picking up over there yeah. for sure. But before we get ready to close it out, is there um, any links or that you'd like to leave for our guests or any upcoming projects that you're working on that you'd like to let them know about? Yeah, just they can reach me at our website, www.marcusmarquesogden.com, or they can shoot me an email at marcus at marcusogden.com. Reach out to us, connect with us, get in touch with us, and uh, we look forward to connecting with you and uh, having a conversation. Definitely. I appreciate your time and consideration and you dropped a lot of jewels on us in a pretty quick amount of time. <laughs> and we always invite um, guests in as far as if you're ever in the L.A. area, please feel free to come by for an in-studio um, recording session and we can sit down and have another conversation. Look forward to it, man. I do a lot of work in L.A., so uh, I'll be definitely hitting you guys up when I come that way. Okay, yeah, we're in downtown L.A., so for the future, yeah, just... Outstanding, man. We'll be hitting, we'll be doing some work together for sure. Okay. Thank you to our guests for listening. I mean, to our audience for listening, for all our listeners. Um, uh, you can find the podcast at americangypsy.com and you can find consistent self improvement merch at luamlee.com. 
And we have music. We also have music under Classic Carpenter. That's K-L-A-C-C-I-K-C-A-R-P-E-N-T-A. That's some you know cello music, a little vocal, some instrumental stuff. We also release American Gypsy um, soundtracks, some instrumental that we have some instrumentals along with our YouTube channel. So definitely check out our check check out the YouTube channel as well. Thank you again to everybody for listening. Consistent self improvement and peace. Peace.